All right, once you get your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 John. We're jumping back into 1 John. Remember, we've spent several weeks studying that. Uh, as you're turning there, I'll catch you up. Just a reminder, uh, since we've been a couple weeks off, uh, two of the main things that we've talked about that John has taught us at this point uh, by way of writing a letter to uh, people around his area in Turkey, if you remember. Well, modern-day Turkey, then it was not called that. Uh, but two of the main things he's, he's taught us so far, one is that our words and our actions need to line up. The things that we say need to be the same as the way we act, right? The other thing we talked about is that Jesus is on our side. If we're Christians, Jesus is on our side. He has paid the punishment of death for our sins so that we can have eternal life. Those are the two main things up to this point that we've talked about. And John, we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The main thing that John is going to tell us tonight, if you don't get anything else out of what we're talking about tonight, the main phrase to remember is do not love the world. Do not love the world. All right, everybody there? Let's read 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the world, let's talk about that a little bit. This is one of those times I've talked about over and over again, I feel like, uh, that we really need to know the context to really know what the writer is talking about. There are places in Scripture that whenever a writer uses the word world, it's hard to say word world, uh, if he uses that word, there are some places he actually means earth, like physical planet earth, world. Then there are other times whenever writers in the, in the Bible are using the word world, um, they're meaning people. For example, John 3.16 he says, for God so loved the world. He's not talking about the physical planet. Yes, God loved his creation the planet. But what, what John's talking about there is humankind. He's talking about man. And so another thing that the world, the word world, gosh, it's so weird, but I don't know how to say it any other way. Um, this word, in this context that John's talking about, he's talking about culture. He's talking about the way that the world acts, specifically for us, the way that America acts, the things that we focus on, the things that we do. <clears throat> and what he's talking about here when he says, do not love the world, he's talking about our worldview. <clears throat> Excuse me. And worldview is simply that. It's just how we see the world, how we see culture around us. The thing about your worldview is that how you see the world around you is completely wrapped up in your worldview. Specifically, your worldview is built upon the things that you've been taught, the experiences that you've had as a human, as a person. You're all humans. You're all people. I don't know why I said it that way. But uh, as your, uh, your experiences up to this point in your life have, have framed the way you see the world, the things that you've been taught, the experiences that you've had. <clears throat> I see it like this. So I hold in my hand here a camera. This is mine. One of my many hobbies. My wife says I have too many. Um, and she loudly agrees over there. Yes, I have too many hobbies. So one of my hobbies uh, is photography slash video. And this is my camera. And so I see it like this. Our thoughts, our interpretations of the world are like the body. 
right here. This is where the sensor is. This is what actually produces the image. So it interprets the information and creates the image, right? So that's what our minds do, our thought process. We create our view of the world. But how does this, how does this part of the camera, the sensor and all that, how does it see anything that I'm pointing it at? Anybody know anything about cameras? Yeah. The lens, yeah. So that's this part. It can be taken off. It's that part. Uh, that is the lens. And so this is how, that's how the camera sees the world. So if I were to take a picture of you guys, it's not on right now. There it goes. Um, how it sees you. Don't worry, there's not a memory card in here right now. Um, so how it sees you is through this piece of glass. Now, there are, there are lots of these kinds of uh, things. Well, this is plastic on the side, but the inside is glass. That's why I call it that. Um, there are lots of these types of lenses. There are some that are, like, really huge. You've seen those on the side of football fields, right? These guys have, like, these humongo lenses. It has its own, like, little monopod, and it's, like, really heavy to carry, and they have to, like, throw it over their shoulder. So there are those that you can, like, zoom in really far away and see things up close. There are some like this that you can just kind of see normal distances, and then there are some that are really short, and you can see, like, a real broad range of what's around. And then there are some, like this little guy, uh, that distort images. Now, this is not an extreme version of distortion, um, but what this, this little guy does, when I put it on there, I can control where the focal point is, and then what's in focus is in focus, but then everything else is distorted. Actually, earlier, I went ahead and took some examples for you guys. Uh, I just my desk, so it's nothing super amazing, creative, incredible. Uh, but I'll throw up the first picture here is with this normal lens. <clears throat> so you can see, you can see everything on there. You can read the cup, students, greenhouse, woo, all that kind of thing. Uh, you see my iPad, you see all these things. I set it up so I looked spiritual with the Bible there and stuff. Um, you can read the letters on the keyboard. You can do all that. So it's normal. Everything's in focus. This is what my desk looks like. If you walk in there right now, minus this little guy because it's on here. Um, that's what it's going to look like. But then I took the picture, the same picture, with this other lens here. I'll go ahead and move to that. You see how everything's distorted now around? You can see the top of the iPad's what's in focus. So it's a real, real small point of focus. But then everything else is distorted, it's blurry. You can hardly even tell what that is anymore. It's just a black blob. You can't really read the letters on the keyboard or the book over here. And so everything... Is not, does not quite look like what it would look like if you walked up to my desk, right? You can clear that picture if you want. So the lens, our worldview, is what controls how we process the things that happen around us. Does that make sense? Based on the things that you've been taught, the experiences that you've had, you interpret what people say, what people do, what you think, what you do, all of that through that quote-unquote lens, um, example, if your mom, and, and hopefully at some point she did, uh, if one of your parents taught you that you should share, you would believe what? That you should share, right? If someone teaches you that you should share, typically the right response is to believe that you should share. Or if your teacher at school tells you you shouldn't hit people, most of the time you're going to then believe what? To not hit people, right? These are, these are simple examples. Uh, so let's go a little deeper. Tomorrow, hypothetically, you, you go to school and your teacher says, God is not real. Would you believe her? No. Well, why not? Why would you not believe her? She's a teacher. Why would you not believe whenever she tells you that God is not real? Yeah. 
she doesn't have a degree. <laughs> That's one thing. Well, the reason is that you that hopefully all of you would not believe her when she said God is not real is because, one, you've been taught that God is real, right? And then most of you in this room, you have a relationship, an experience with God that you know for sure that he's real, right? So based upon what you've been taught and the experience that you've had, you believe that God's real and no one's going to tell you any different, right? That's how the worldview works. Over the next few years of your life, you'll forget this and it's okay, uh, but over the next few years of your life will really build a lot of the foundation of what you will believe and how you will see the world for the rest of your life. So in your teenage years, you will form the foundations, and you've already been forming some of the foundations, basic foundations, but in these next few years of your teenage years, you're going to form the foundation of how you will see the world until you die. That's pretty huge, right? So that would mean that we need to be learning the right things, right? Uh, where am I at here? One other thing before we jump back into the scripture and, and dive in. Um, so when we say, do not love the world, a lot of times when this is taught, uh, for good or bad, it's taught that we should reject all things in culture. We should dress completely differently. Uh, we should speak differently. We should do all these things, and we're supposed to reject everything that culture throws at us. I would say that's not what John is telling us here. John is not telling us that we should reject everything in the world. What John is saying is that we should not love the things of the world. We should not be focused on the things of the world. John himself probably dressed just like everyone else around him. John himself probably went to the same marketplaces and bought the same kinds of food as everyone else around him. So he's not proposing that we just reject everything and make our own little subculture and, and all of these things. But he's saying that we should not love the things of the world. We should not be focused on the things of the world. Now, the interesting side of that, though, is this, that when you're focused on God and you really love God, how are you to know how God wants you to see the world? It's a real simple answer. You can give me the Sunday school answer if you want. Yep, Donnie's got it, man. He's always got those answers, man. The Bible. He's on top of it. Uh, so this is, how, this is how we know how God wants us to see the world around us. You need to study the Bible. And again, the interesting thing about that is, so John is not saying that we should reject all these things of the world, but if we're focused on God and we are studying what he wants us to do, we are going to look different than the world. We, we are going to dress more conservatively than the world is teaching us to. We are going to act in a more loving way than the world is showing us we need to. One big reason is that the culture and the world around us is not focused on God. The fashion world, the movie world, they're not focused on God. And so they're not going to tell us to act like God because they're not, they, don't, they don't know what God acts like. They don't know who God is. But when we know who God is and what he wants for us, we'll act the way he wants us to. So, so John's not saying to reject these things, but he's just saying be so focused on God that you look the way he wants you to look. Okay, let's jump in. I think these three verses break down really nicely uh, into three sections. Uh, and I didn't do that just because I'm a... Baptist minister, but um, it just happened to fall that way. Uh, Rob likes it whenever things have three points. Um, so I think they, they break up like this, and actually nicely, verse by verse, they, they'll go, the world cannot give you what you need. That'll be verse 15. Verse 16, the world cannot give you what it promises. And verse 17, the world cannot give you 
what will last. And we'll walk back through that. So here, verse 15, the world cannot give you what you need. Let's look at it again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, every person in here, every person on the planet, is created with this need to love and to be loved, right? All of you want someone to love you, right? Eyeballs up here. Everybody looking at me? This means yes? Yep. So everyone wants to be loved by somebody. And then you naturally, not always to everyone, but naturally the closest people to you, you just you, you pour love out on them, right? So everyone is created with this basic need to love and to be loved. The world... The world throws things at us, and it wants us to love those things, or it even may say that it does love us, but all those things always fall short, because that's not the purpose that we've been created for. Say, I meant to grab one, but I didn't. Say, I had a screwdriver. What's the purpose of a screwdriver? To unscrew stuff or to screw things in, right? Now, what if I, what if I turn that thing over, and I try and hammer in a nail, I mean, it, it may work in some cases, and it's not going to work in a lot of cases, but I'm going to spend a lot of time doing something in a way that it shouldn't be done. Now, what, sh- what should be used to hammer in a nail? A hammer, right? So its purpose, what? A nail gun? Well, yeah, rich people use nail guns. Uh, we poor people stick to hammers. Uh, gosh, I remember the first time I used a nail gun, and I was like, oh. Oh, this is awesome. Oh, and I started like nailing a whole bunch of stuff. My dad was like, hey, you need to calm down with that. Um, that's, that's beside the point. That's just a JJ when he was 11 and started having to do manual labor. That's um, a little bit about me. So anyway, this hammer, its purpose is to hammer in that nail and nothing else besides a nail gun, I guess, uh, does that job the way it should do, right? The same with a screwdriver. You couldn't use a hammer to unscrew or screw in a screw, could you? I mean, you might in some cases, but it's just, it's not going to be very effective and it's not going to work the way it's supposed to work. So things are created with a purpose. In the same way, we are created by God with the purpose of loving Him and being loved by Him. And so there are things in the world that will say that it loves us or we may even love it for a time. And it feels good, and those things are great. And then it seems like, you know, when you're using a screwdriver to hammer to nail, you're like, okay, this is working. But then eventually, it just doesn't work anymore. Eventually, it just falls short. Because the only love that is fully satisfying, that is fully complete, is the love of God. Right? So don't focus on the world. Don't put your love in the world because it's going to always fall short. So let's look at verse 16. The world cannot give you what it promises. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So he gives us three things. I think that this is one of the most important verses in Scripture. So I need everybody to focus in, okay? Again, all eyeballs up here. This is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. And this is why. John gives us the three ways that the world and Satan attacks us. 
all the ways that the world and Satan tempt us and cause us to sin. These are those three ways. So desire, desires of the flesh. John is talking about lust. He's talking about passion. This is, these are uh, physical things that we do. And so simply, we're talking about sex. We're talking about gluttony. We're talking about those kind of things. Gluttony. You guys know what gluttony is? Huh? It's when you eat a ton of food, right? And then you look like me or worse, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but gluttony is when you are, in a lot of ways, it's when you're eating more than you should. But gluttony is, is more than just eating. It's when you're doing anything in excess of what it should normally be done. We'll focus on eating just because it's the simplest uh, to understand. So eating, everyone has to eat, right? To live, to survive, right? To exist, you have to eat food. That's the way you're created. And so eating in of itself is not sinful, it's not evil, but there's only a certain amount of food that you have to eat to live and to have energy, right? So say I had a pizza here. How much of that pizza do I need to consume realistically to live, right? I'm going to go two pieces because I'm a bigger dude and have lots of energy that needs to be produced, right? So two pieces is, is probably all I really need. If you want to know the fact, a large pizza, one slice is 500 calories. Um, and in a day, you really only need about 2,000 to 2,500, depending on how big you are. Um, but you also burn calories off, and so it, in some ways it balances out. But So reasonably, two pieces of pizza is all I really need. Now, how, how many of you believe that I could chow down that whole pizza? Yeah, you better believe I can. You ever believe in the past? I have. All right? One of the most, one of the most gluttonous times uh, of my life uh, regarding food, my best friend Joe, I hope one day you guys get to meet him. He's an incredible, intelligent, hilarious dude that can cut you down and you don't even know it. Um, so he and I, we were freshmen in college. We just met, became friends. Uh, we were awesome. Uh, we decided, hey, let's go get some pizza. Like, cool. So we walk across the street because we're both poor and don't have cars. We walk across the street to Little Caesars from the college that we're in. And we're, we're going, okay, what are we going to order? And then we see this deal. It's nice and cheap for what you get. And so we go, okay, let's get that. So we order it. We take it back. We sit down. And now this deal that we got is called the family meal. Now, what do you think that this family meal is supposed to do? Feed an entire family, right? Well, there's the two of us. He's, the funny thing about Joe and I is, is we're, we look really similar. We're really the same size and body shape. We're always within five pounds of one another. Even when one of us loses weight, the other one does too. It's weird. And one of us gains weight. We gain weight. I don't understand. Soulmate. I don't know. It's weird. Um, so we're sitting there with this family meal, which is two large pizzas. Okay? Two large pizzas. Two orders of breadsticks. And one order of wings and two two-liter sodas, all right? Any predictions of how this went? Each of us consumed one whole large pizza, one whole entire order of breadsticks, and a half a order of wings, and an entire two-liter of soda. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying... Uh, surprisingly, I, I weighed like 
30 pounds less than I do now. I don't know. Um, So we each ate all of this food, uh, and we're proud of ourselves for a moment, and then a few minutes later, when we realized that we needed to vomit because we had eaten way too much, uh, things went south, right? So in the moment, it was satisfying, and, and we felt great about it, and we felt complete. But in the end... It fell short, or maybe even it came up short. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, that was a side story. So that's, uh, that's a, a simplistic version of gluttony. So it's anything that is done in excess of what it should be done. And here's why that's, why that's a bad deal. When you're doing something in excess of what it should be done, you are more focused on that thing than you are anything else. You are more focused on that thing than you are God. A lot of times food is comfort for people. When you're in times of emotional distress, you may want to chow down on some ice cream or some cookies or something like that, and it just makes you feel good, right? The other side of that is that we're supposed to find our comfort in the Holy Spirit, not in food. So I spent more time on this than I should, but gluttony uh, and these sins, these physical sins that we do, these are, these are desires that we have that are in of themselves not evil, But when they're taken to excess, they're taken to a point that we're no longer focused on God, they are sinful. So this is one way the world uh, and Satan tempts us and causes us to sin. And the next thing he says here is the desires of our eyes. John is talking about affection. He's talking about the, the world that we see. Now, guys, we are infinitely more visual than girls are. Now, girls, you guys are still visual, and so you see things, uh, and it causes an emotional reaction, or it causes things. But guys, we... Just statistically, this is how it works. We are visually driven. So what John is talking about here is the desires of our eyes. There are things that we see, and then they cause desire within us. And again, these desires are not innately in of themselves evil, so the desire is not evil. But it's what you do with that desire that is evil. You think about something more than you should in ways that you shouldn't. It may even cause a a physical response, something that you do that you shouldn't do. So we have to be careful, what John's saying here is we have to be careful the things that we're looking at, the things that we see around us, because those can cause temptation and those can cause sin within us. All right, the the third thing he says here and the last thing he says, pride in possessions. John's talking about selfishness, boasting, uh, or arrogance. So this is when we... Are more, are more focused on ourself and the things that we have than we are on God. Pride, if you really look at it, pride is the root of all sin. All sin starts with pride. Because at some point in these desires that you have, whether it's uh, the desire of the flesh or desire of the eye, at some point you think about yourself more than you do God, and that's pride. You're more proud of yourself or you think that your need is more important than that of what God has told you. That's pride. And so this is a big one. If we, more often than not, if you can stay focused on God and not on yourself, you can avoid all the other sins, all the other ways that you're tempted. If you're focused on God and not yourself, it helps you avoid all those other things. So let's look at verse 17 here. The world cannot give you what will last. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is a pretty straightforward 
uh, from what I can tell. Everything on earth will either die or fade away. Even the strongest metals on the planet eventually rust and fall apart over a long enough time period. Right? So everything in the world dies or fades away. But God never dies, right? God never loses. He's always victorious. And I had a third thing. And God never fades away. Sorry, I lost where I was. So God never dies, never loses, and he never fades away. There's another big reason that we don't need to be focused on the world, but on God, because he's the only constant for eternity. He's the only constant. He's the only thing that is perfect and completely satisfying. Forever. So here, I want to help the visual learners here. I've got a slide, don't put it up just yet, that's going to walk us through a little bit about uh, what the worldview, when you're focused on the world, looks like, and then what the worldview, if you're focused on God, looks like. Okay, it's kind of a compare and contrast. Let me get out of the way. You can see it. Go ahead and put the slide up. So when you're focused on the world, the things of the world, the focus is on me or you. Your focus is on yourself. But if you're focused on God, then the focus is on God, right? Pretty simple. The next thing we have here, if you're focused on the, the things of the world, your thought process is make as much money as possible. If you're focused on the things of God, if you're studying Scripture, you'll see that it tells us to give as much money away as possible. That doesn't say don't you know, provide basic things for yourself, food and shelter and those kinds of things. But, it says, but if you're really focused on God, you're going to help others. You're going to give everything you can away to help other people. So back over here, the things of the world... The world's going to tell you you need to live comfortably. You've got to have a big house, big cars, things like that. You need to live comfortably. But the Bible tells us, and Jesus in the Bible tells us things completely different. He says life is not about comfort. It's about doing hard things for God. Giving up yourself, which is hard to do, and being focused on God. So focus on things of the world. The world's going to tell you you need to make a name for yourself. You need to be famous. You need, people need to know who you are. You're a big deal. When you're focused on the things of God, you're making his name famous. You're making him a big deal because he is the real big deal. The last thing here, if you're focused on the world, the world's going to tell you, yeah, you should do good things. You should do acts of service when you feel like it, when it's on your own terms. Whenever it fits in your schedule, you should do good things. That's what the world's going to tell you. That's what the world is telling you. But when you're focused on the things of God, the Bible tells us that we should be a servant even when it's uncomfortable and even when it's inconvenient. We should be a servant. So this is, this is what the world tells us and this is what God tells us. <clears throat> Here's the point. We need, more, we need to be more focused on God than we are on the things of the world. So when John says, do not love the world, he's saying be more focused on God than you are anything on this planet. Anything that culture tells you, anything that it can give you, be more focused on God. And in those moments, you'll know, you'll be able to interpret, because you'll have the right lens through Scripture, you'll be able to interpret what the world is telling you and see whether it's true or whether it's real or it's not. So here's the challenge tonight. Over the next few days, I know I've been talking for a while, um, so this is, this is a conclusion, so I need everybody to focus in, okay? Over the next few days, if you're serious about this, if you're serious about wanting to live the way God wants you to over the next few days, examine as you live the next few days out the things that you're doing, the things that you're participating in, the things that you are consuming. 
when you were doing those things? Are you more focused on God or on those things? This is not saying you shouldn't do things. But when you're doing those things, are you doing them for God or for yourself? So when you're playing a sport, playing an instrument, any kind of extracurricular activity, you're doing those things, are you doing them for yourself to make yourself look cool? Are you doing them in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God? And so my challenge to you in that is to find those things that you're not focused on God and either change your focus while you're doing those things to being focused on God or just eliminate those things entirely. If you can't play football and be focused on God, then you need to not play football. That's just real. Your parents won't like it. And you can tell them to come talk to me if they, they don't like it. But here's the deal. If anything keeps you from being focused on God, you either change your focus or just eliminate it entirely.